Good morning. I didn't want to be like Mike, as they say. He always runs up here before the scripture's read. So I saw it said scripture, so I was waiting on the scripture reading. But I just found out that uh, we're going to be doing that together. So as we prepare, let's go ahead and turn to our Bibles to Psalm 27. By the way, my name is Jeff Chestnut, and I serve alongside Andrew and Mike as one of the pastors here at uh, Lakeside, if you're a visitor. And also, as you know, over the last month or so, we've been taking a break from our study in the book of John, and we've been going through the Psalms this summer. But today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 27, which I've entitled, God Is... And I didn't put a question mark or explanation point at the end of the title because I want you to answer as we progress through these passages today. I want you to answer who God is in your life. And as we begin today, I want to pose a question for you to consider as we go through this this psalm. Where do you and I or anyone begin when we consider our challenges or problems. And I heard it stated from a lot of great theologians before that most often you and I and people begin with their problems and then they gravitate or move toward the Lord. And I want us to see today David's example And where he began, did he gravitate to his problems first and then give them to God? Or did he gravitate to God first and then move to his his problems? And so that's the question to ask ourselves. Where do you and I, by praying for our problems, where do we begin? Do we begin with our problems and then move to the Lord in our prayers? And what I want us to see, and I would submit to you that when we pray, we ought not to begin with our petitions, but begin with praise and adoration to the Lord. We need to learn to gaze upon His beauty and His excellence. And as as I'm saying this, I know that there are a lot of people out there that are asking, why can't we start with... uh, applications or supplications and that's a good question and I would say to you as you will see in this psalm that as we unfold the truths of this psalm that God's character is unchanging we need to learn to gaze upon his beauty and his excellence his goodness and what that does for us is it takes our eyes off of our challenges and issues that we're having and it changes our perspective as we're going through those trials and tribulations because I want us to see that nothing is so big and awful when we look at regarding who the Lord is and this is where Christians, you and I must make our request known to God yes, of course but having full confidence That he is greater, greater than any problem and fully capable of ruling over them. 
With that thought in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we come before you, broken people, acknowledging that we can do nothing apart from you. As Andrew prayed, we're selfish people. We pray for our, our desires and our wants, Father. But I pray through this psalm today that you would transform our hearts and help us to see you in a way that we've never encountered you before. And we ask this and pray this in a name above all names, the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. The first point, uh, yeah, I'm a Baptist pastor. That's what they teach you in seminary. So I've got three points. And so the first point that we're going to look at is seeking the Lord's presence. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. And if you will, follow along with me uh, on your phone or in your Bible. There should be some Bibles in, in the pews in front of you there. But let's look at verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries, and my foes? It is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The oars rise against me, yet... I will be confident, David says. What David is doing here, he's basically praying for his life. And we're not sure of the exact historical situation, but a theologian by the name of Charles Spurgeon guesses or believes that it may have been when David was on the actual run from King Saul or even pursued by his enemies. He was shut out from the house of the Lord. He was separated from his parents. He was slandered by false witnesses. And all of that seems to fit of what we're talking about here. And as David continues to pray for his life, the question comes to my mind is where do you and I go when life hits us with a crisis? It's obvious that David is in a crisis here. And we're going to see where he goes to as we have just read. But the question is, where do you and I go to when life hits us with the crisis? Or when the, um, when the going gets tough, as they say. Do you turn to God? Do you pray in those situations? I hope so. But more importantly, how do you pray during a crisis? And I would submit that a lot of people are not prepared to pray in crisis, especially if that's the only time that they, they pray in their life. When a crisis comes up, they aren't prepared for that. Basically, if they do that, you and I, then our prayers are no more than cries of panic than anything else. Very different from the attitude that we see in the prayer that David's modeling for us in Psalm 27. Look at verse 1. David begins by saying, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Notice the first thing is he claims God as his own. Notice the personal relationship with God. My light, my salvation. 
And I'm going to ask you the question, is God your light and your salvation? Is the Lord your light and your salvation? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Do you know God in this intimate way as David is describing here? And this is a perfect picture of who God is. He says that I'm light. This is a picture of salvation. Light, God, versus darkness. There's no darkness in God. He is light. And now let's look at salvation. The salvation, God is salvation. There's no condemnation. You see the opposites there? That's a beautiful picture of of a salvation. What light does is it, it dispels darkness. And in the Bible, the word for light itself can mean God's blessing, life, God's favor. But more importantly, God is light. And the word salvation is the word uh, Yeshua, the Hebrew word for, for Jesus. And it's a word here that speaks of God's ability to save and deliver them from any harm. David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If you and I, this is hurricane season. Uh, and if you and I were in a, a hurricane or in the midst of a hurricane. And you were in a small travel trailer. Then you might have cause for concern. But if you were in an underground concrete bunker then you would have very, very little to worry about. And the question is, why? Because if you are in a place with strong protection, when God is the strength of your life, when the Lord Almighty is your stronghold, you're also in a strong place for protection. And I would say, without a shadow of a doubt, in full confidence, this is a lot better than a concrete bunker. Because... If God is for us, who can be against us? See, David wasn't afraid because God was that strong place of his protection. And as we're going through trials and tribulations in our life, our primary pursuit should be the presence of the Lord. For in him alone, in him alone, we find light to guide us. And salvation from sin and its consequences. There's a song that we sing here and I love it. And as I was preparing this uh, sermon this past week, it just rang true to me over and over. Where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go, Lord? With, With full confidence besides the Lord. And I will tell you right now, we can go nowhere And survive. So that's the first point that I wanted us to see. Seeking the Lord's presence. When we are going through trials and tribulations. So this leads us to our point number two. Trusting in the Lord's protection. Let's look at verses four through ten. And read those together. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger or you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Notice how David starts this off. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire. And that's how he begins what he's asking for. One thing I want us to notice, David, why did David long to dwell in the house of the Lord all of his days? He gives us two reasons. Look at verse 4. It says down here, he wanted to gaze upon God's beauty and to seek God's temple. When, when, when Solomon asked, when God asked Solomon a question, what he wanted, what did Solomon say to God? Solomon asked for wisdom to rule God's people. And I think God liked that question, why? Because he answered it, Correct. But I think he liked David's answer even more when David said that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I want us to understand that when we speak of God's beauty in his temple, we aren't talking about an outward beauty with our eyes because God has no form nor shape. We worship God in spirit and in truth. But what David is saying here, when we worship God as David's wanting to worship God, we speak of God's character, his love, his power, his faithfulness, his justice, his mercy, his kindness, and his grace. And the list goes on and on and on. And what this should do is it should inspire us in a greater love for God. The more God reveals himself to us and we understand these things, it should lead us toward God. And I can assure you that there's nothing wrong with God. What this does is uh, delight, once we understand that if we delight in God, what does that lead to? It leads to worship God, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Do you and I delight in worshiping God? Do you and I enjoy 
him. And if not, then we need to ask ourselves, why not? We need to search his character. And I will tell you, if you do that, you will find nothing but increasing beauty of who God is. And see, this is the, this is the reason David could call God his light and his salvation, the strength of his life, because David spent time gazing upon God's beautiful character. How do you and I behold God's beauty? That's the question. How do we do it? We're looking at how David's doing it. How do you and I do it? Where do we find him to gaze upon his goodness and his beauty? We find him in his word, in his, in prayer, in worship, in fellowship with God's people. We need to learn how to gaze upon God's beauty. Scripture tells us to fix our eyes upon him, feast upon him, and gaze intently upon him. This psalm is one of my favorite psalms in Scripture, and the favorite verse in Scripture is verse 8. I want us to look at this, verse 8. It says, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. My heart says of you. What, what does that mean? What this means is God speaks to our what? Our hearts. God speaks to our hearts. And then our heart speaks to us. So that's important. God places, and this is important as well. Where does that desire come from? God places that desire in our heart to seek his face and his presence. And I want to give a, a little warning here because this has happened in my life several times and I've regretted it. So I don't want you to make the same mistake. Do not ever take this for granted. When your heart calls you to seek God, rejoice. What you are, you're at a point of sensitivity in your life. You're at a point of sensitivity in your life. And do not assume that you'll be at the same point of receptivity tomorrow. If your heart says of you, seek his face. And then David says, your heart, your face, Lord, I will seek. And I know God's speaking to people in here because he's alive, he's active, and he's sharper than any two-edged sword. And there's things in our heart now that he's speaking to us about. Uh, may not all be the same thing, but be receptive, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit working in your life, and then your heart will speak to you. Look at verses 9 and 10. What David is doing here is he's recognizing his own sin as he calls on God for help. And so he prays here in verses 9 and 10. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. You see, 
in, in some of our cases, even our earthly mothers and fathers can forsake us, turn their backs upon us. But God never will. This can be translated basically adoption. If our earthly mothers and fathers abandoned us and we're adopted into a family, this is what God has done to us. He's adopted us into his family. So, seek God's face. Trust in God's protection. And this leads us to our third and and final point. Waiting on the Lord's timing. Verses 14, 11, and 14. Let's look at that. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. What is David doing here? We find David, he's committed to pray as long as he has life. For the rest of his life. Let me say that again. We find David committed to praying as long as he has life for the rest of his life. And what this is demonstrating is demonstrating perseverance and patience in prayer. And as we're praying, what are we doing? We're seeking God's face and trusting in his. You remember the second point? Trusting in his protection. And how do you and I, this is a question for us, how do you and I persevere in prayer for a lifetime? That's, a, that's hard. We're studying prayer. I'll plug this in. We're doing a grow class in, uh, on prayer. So if you could come an hour earlier, you can learn how to pray and uh, make it part of your life. I encourage you to uh, participate with us in that. But the question is, how do we persevere in prayer for a lifetime? First of all, we must do what? We must commit ourselves to going God's way. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, teach me your way. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressor. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. But here's the thing. We must learn God teaches us to go his way. How often do you and I pray instead, give me my way or give me what I desire, give me what I want. But that's not what David is saying. He's saying, teach me your way. What this is, is this is humility on David's part. He's, he's professing his personal ignorance here. He says, Lord, I don't know the right way to go. Lord, you set the path of my life. You show, you show me the way. You teach me. You guide me. You mold me and use me for your kingdom. And that's important for us to 
go to God the same way in our ignorance, stating that we don't know the right way. Only he can do that for us. Notice that David asked for a straight path, a level and safe and firm path. And when you and I follow God's ways, we are always safe and secure under God's protection. Look at how David speaks of his oppressors in verse 11. He says, Lord, lead me in a straight path so I may not fear my oppressors, so that I may know the safety of walking within your will. May my life be testimony and witness to those who would seek to destroy me. And I would submit to you, if we're going to persevere in our life through hard times, and I know right here in this congregation, we have members that are going through hard times right now. Some have lost family members. Some have been diagnosed with uh, terminal illnesses. And so we know as a family and a church body that what they're going through, and it's tough. But the question is, how do we persevere through hard times? And right here, we learn a, a very valuable lesson is we must wait to see the goodness of the Lord. How do we do that? What does that mean? Do we just sit here and not do anything and just wait for something to happen? Just like manna from heaven? Is, is praying and waiting passive or is it active? Look at verses 13 and 14. David says, I am still confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord. David was confident, a thousand percent confident, that God would redeem him in his lifetime. And he was willing to wait on the Lord for deliverance. Where was his focus? On his problems? His focus was on the Lord. What David is doing is he's taking the long-term approach. We live in a microwave society today where we just want to plop something in and it's done and it's complete within two minutes or less. But that's not what the Christian life is all about. It's about waiting on the Lord, gazing on his beauty and his goodness. We need to take a long-term approach approach. David basically is praying for his life, for the duration of his life. Prayer never ceases. And so David's encouraging us right here and others who may be going through trials and tribulations. Wait on the Lord, be strong and take heart. Wait on the Lord. Why? Because God is kind. He's good. He's merciful, and he is our light and our salvation. He is the strength of our life. Going back to the title of the sermon, God is. Is God your light and your salvation? I hope so. But if not, we would love to be able to, to talk to each one of you and help you understand how we came to understand that God is our, my light and my salvation. You can talk to me. You can talk to the person sitting beside you. You can talk to a grow leader. You can talk to the ushers. But I would encourage you 
Don't leave this place because God is speaking to, and we need to be receptive and sensitive to what the Holy, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us now. The Bible tells us today, not tomorrow, today is the day of salvation. So I would encourage you, don't put off those questions until tomorrow. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, you are great and mighty and worthy to be praised. Father, we come to you, as I said, as broken people. But we thank you for the privilege of being able to point people to you and you alone, Father. I pray that as we go through life circumstances that we would look at David's example and what we've learned through this psalm, Father. That we would seek your presence. And Father, we, we pray that we would have confidence in your protection. And I pray that we would wait actively as we're praying, Father, on your timing. As we continue to worship, Father, I pray that uh, you would be glorified in, a, in what we're about to do, taking the Lord's Supper. And may you be lifted high. For it's in the name of Jesus, the name above all names that we ask and pray. Amen. We've come to the point in our service where we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. And this is an exceptional and an excellent way to respond to this psalm. Because what we see or have seen through Psalm 27, we see God's presence, God's protection. And God's perfect timing. And this supper that we're going to participate in is a physical picture of Christ's affliction for believers. And yet the suffering isn't the end. It results in people in every nation remembering and proclaiming Christ until he comes again. His sufferings result in our life and joy And that is what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. But I must say that this supper is not for everyone. And we would warn you not to partake in the supper if you aren't a believer or follower of Christ. Or if you're living a life of unrepentant sin. And the reason why we say that is because by taking this supper, we are all saying that we need Jesus to give us life. And we are trusting in him. So please don't communicate something different by taking the supper while believing or living just the opposite. And we would also ask if you haven't been baptized to refrain from taking it, but we'd love to talk to you further about baptism. Now, in a moment, just a few instructions. We'll all stand and the ushers will come down to pass the plates. Please remain standing for the whole time. And as you're standing... I want to encourage you to think about the truths and where you are in your life with God. And we'll all wait until everyone has had a chance to get the the juice and the cracker. And we'll all hold it until the very end and we'll take it together. Symbolizing our union to one another and our union with Christ.